What's up everyone and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Words. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Breakline Arena. It is your hostess with the mostest. I play for Team Breakline, and I am joined with two incredible teammates. Ladies, if you would like to introduce yourselves. Yes, I am Chelsea Conley here playing for Team Breakline as well. And who else we got here? Hi, ladies. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. Delighted to be here with both of you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is my favorite part of the entire mm-hmm. week. Um, yep. And we have a conversation <laughs> in store that each one of us teared up about several times as we have listened through it. But Bethany, can you kick us off, introduce our guest and just a, some key takeaways that you got from this conversation? Yes. So I'd be happy to. I had the pleasure of interviewing Seiju Jiang, who is the CEO and co-founder of Noom. And this was one of the most poignant conversations that I've, I've ever had. His background is truly amazing. He emigrated to the U.S. as a young man with almost nothing. But he had a vision for Noom. He um, moved to the U.S. from South Korea, started out just with kind of a collection of odd jobs. He worked in landscaping. He was a street vendor. He actually made a home out of a parking garage at one point and lived there for years. And through that whole sort of bleak time in his life, he had the conviction and the persistence to start this company. And he finally did so. He launched Noom with an outstanding co-founder, and recently raised $540 million to continue building this company. And what was so extraordinary to me about the conversation was was actually the intersection between this the sort of turmoil of his his personal and professional life in what he called like a very difficult decade of his 30s. And the background here is that his father in South Korea was an eminent physician. He was like a almost famous physician in, in the country. And he passed away before he could see Seiju's success. And there mm. were some really poignant moments toward the end of the conversation where Seiju was recounting one of his final conversations. He knew his father was, was going to pass away. And his father said, if you hit a difficult time, reconnect with your mom. Her love is like an ocean. It's unlimited. And she will help you recharge. And then Seiju talked about once he was a success, he went went and, and visited with his mom. And she said, as far as you go, you can always come back. I'm always here to help you. I'm proud of you. I love you. And just kind <laughs> wow. of hearing those stories, I teared up in the conversation. And so, as you said, just in preparing to publish it. Again, it was such a moving set of stories and such a wonderful example of the American dream. Someone with drive and hustle and scrappy conviction and brilliance, being able to start a world-changing company and transcend some, some very, very difficult circumstances. 
Oh my gosh, Bethany, I loved those reflections. I know. Chelsea, tell us about your thoughts. I'm a little blown away by that, Bethany. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, the her love is an ocean. I'm going to stick that on a post-it somewhere. Mm. And then he also tells this really interesting story about not only was his dad a doctor, but he had a family of 15-plus famous mm-hmm. doctors that he yeah. was trying to live up to. And it turned out he didn't get a high enough score on a test, and he mm-hmm. had to present it to the entire family that mm-hmm. he wasn't gonna follow in their footsteps. And mm-hmm. can you imagine how terrifying that would be? And also mm-hmm. just the, the pressure leading up to that point. And instead of being disappointed, instead of shunning him, his father takes him aside and really sees him and says, you know what, mm-hmm. you have other skills, why don't you pursue those other skills? And you know what he mm-hmm. did? Started his own company. And even though his dad's not here, that kind of movement verberates. It goes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's incredible. Such an inspiring conversation. And we absolutely can't wait a second longer to dive in. So without further ado, ladies, I feel like we should just hop right in. Let's hit it. I can't wait. Let's do it. We will see you guys on the other side. Welcome, everybody. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I am delighted to be joined in this space with Seiju Jiang, co-founder and CEO of Noom. Noom is a rocket ship, and I'm going to turn it over to Seiju to tell us more about it. But a couple of highlights. This is a company doing amazing work. Their mission is to help as many people as possible live healthier lives through behavior change. They just raised over half a billion dollars with a B in a round led by Silver Lake, and they are growing like gangbusters. And Seiju, Welcome to the Breakline Arena. I'm so excited to dig into this and to hear more about your success. Could we start with just where you all are today? Tell us about Noom. Tell us about where you are, what you all are doing, and what the road looks like ahead for you and your team. Thanks for having me. It's my honor to be here today. Noom, we are a consumer-first digital healthcare platform that we've been growing well with the great support of millions of numerous help. And the way we help our users help the health by changing behavior is very strong, organic, and it does deliver long lasting results. So we take a lot of pride the way we tackle the healthcare issues, which has been sick care optimized, that we pay attention to how we can provide preventative approach to our end users and also build a healthy habit that we we can help them to have a healthy lifestyle for a long term. That has been great change of the way we have helped millions and millions of lives. Noom has grown very well last four years and we expect to have continued support from the users and we invite a lot of strong talent over COVID-19 time as many people are paying attention about overall the mind, body, health is so important. So there are a lot of more users and also great talents are knocking the door of us. So we're inviting them and building a great organization to build stronger, better service at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting on your comment that it's lasting change. We've probably all had that experience with some fad diet or whatever, you know, some new fangled machine that we're using that 
lasts for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then we sort of hit a plateau and perhaps return to our, our original state. What is it that's different about Noom? How are you all delivering that lasting change that's really impacting lives in a healthy way? So we learned by tackling the fitness only and the color counting only in the beginning of our era. Noom has been established 14 years ago. So in the beginning, we thought in order to deliver our mission, which we want to help many lives as many as we can, we thought by providing great tools and technology for boosting the fitness performance that we can deliver health. We did sell them, but we learned Changing behavior is a key that we can actually help our users to adopt a healthy lifestyle that can last uh, a long term. Because we learned a lot of users struggle with not only weight, but overall healthy lifestyle. People try to lose weight and they may lose weight and they, they gain again the weight. Mm-hmm. And they get confused about the, the, the nutrition and how to like, manage stress, all that. So we realized as we approach and use a holistic way, we learned four pillars are very important that you need to master. So first is diet, nutrition. Second, exercise, fitness. Third, stress, anxiety management. Four, sleep, the resting is very important. So we master those pillars and then we guide our users to learn how we can reform their habits day to day. And that way, we can help them to form a healthy habit that is sustainable. That is our target. Weight is a result of of adopting healthy lifestyle. It's not just target, we will help you to lose weight. It's greater than that. The new users receive the benefit by changing behavior. They can manage the weight better, but more than that, they build a better self-esteem and they understand how to learn and they manage its four pillars much better. And that's the way they can continue to keep a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And Seiju, you and your team have talked about the importance of a human touch in, in this platform and in the experience of your numers. And the approach that you all have taken has been a combination of AI plus that human touch. And you've said that combination is really effective. And will you talk to us about how you all approach the integration of AI plus the role that human coaches play on your platform? Absolutely. So our founding team and my co-founder, Artem Petakov, were the AI Robot Soccer Cup World Cup winner in 2004-2005. So in terms of AI technology, from the beginning of a company, they had a lot of like know-how and experience. Mm -hmm. So we thought if we apply AI technology that we can guide our users at scale level, then we can make the most impact as we want to follow company mission. What we missed by the time, we did not know how powerful the passionate healthcare coach, the human coach comes with a passion to help the others and the empathy that no matter how advanced technology that we apply, I don't think the empathy can be replicated by technology. Mm-hmm. It's a human empathy is it's so powerful. So we had an aha moment. We need to build the technology to 
empower our passionate coach. We are empowering them. That way they can provide a great help to end users. Mm-hmm. So our human coach and Noom, not that they, they, of course they guide our end users. They also hold accountable. They are the peer and they learn and they provide out their experience. That's the best. And we use technology that we can nicely scale their service at the same time because we are monitoring carefully their service a bit of practice to end users we call numerous so it became a great asset that we can learn better by learning we can actually power back to our coach this we can provide a know-how and insight that how people will likely behave mm-hmm. that's the power of using the best part of the technology and ai and also we empower human coach Mm-hmm. And we blend it and deliver to end users in order to change their behavior. Mm-hmm. Because, I'll be frank, changing behavior can be very difficult. We mm-hmm. get that. We expect our end users, newers, has to do homework, right? They need to do something. Our service is not like watching Netflix or play a game. Mm-hmm. Our service is not transactional. Our service is like a teaching, a class. Mm-hmm. We expect our numerous to follow our curriculum, and that means we need their commitment and effort. And blend this AI technology and human coach, help them to build better habit, and it has been successful. Mm. Thank you for explaining that, Seiju. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your inspiration for starting Noom. Noom actually wasn't your first company. Your first company from when you were living in South Korea, where you were born, you started a heavy metal label. And um, so, you know, you earned some stripes there. But it was really the influence of your father that gave you inspiration for Noom. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that story with our listeners. Thanks for asking. So my background story goes, I grew up from Yeosu. It's a very small town in South Korea. It is like Charleston in America, right? It's a very beautiful seaside tourist area. There's a beautiful like a seaport where I grew up was a little like suburb area. And my father, my grandfather established their family there. And my father and my uncles all studied medical school and they became a doctor and they all came back to Yosu to establish the first private general hospital and that became our family business and that influenced me and my sisters and entire my family my cousins heavily why is that mm. because in our family Jung family we had, I I counted and we had, I think we had like more than 50 medical doctors mm. and I started counting 5 years ago because we produce more doctors. Because we the way we trick these numbers that we produce doctors and also we marriage doctors. <laughs> <laughs> my sister is a doctor and my sis brother-in-law is a doctor, for instance. There like you that. go. We grow like snowball, the medical doctor's family. Uh, so we take a lot of pride that we are serving for the healthcare, and my father took a lot of pride at serving for the patient and all that. And he was a founder and also OBGYN expert doctor. So um, I was heavily influenced by our family business, my father's family business. 
that I remember my first memory that I recall when I was very young, like probably four or five, I was playing at the hospital. That's my memory. And many memories like that because my father and my uncles are working together and they're working hard. So I went there to meet them and also like hang out there with my cousin. And every week, my father, his brothers, my uncles, had like family dinner all together. Every week. Imagine there is a Thanksgiving level dinner every week. That's our family. And then the dinner is like three or four hours, easily four hours. And they are all speaking about, you know, doctor's favorite topic is what? The patient, the case studies. So they share the case studies all the time, all the time. And I remember that. So I thought I would become a doctor, like all my cousins, like became a doctor, kind of almost train. There's train of like, okay, these are, <laughs> my grandmother was asking like, okay, because so many grandchildren she had, right? She was asking every year, new year, she goes like, happy new year, everyone. Okay, my grandson, granddaughter, who is going to take an exam this year and will go college? And then, oh, me, okay. So, good luck, and then automatically assume that you will become a doctor. We didn't even ask. I love your grandma. Yeah, my grandma was like that. My grandma was like, yeah, study hard, become a doctor. And there's no option. So, it's kind of like pre-described the career path as defined at John family. And I thought that was nice, to be honest, because the community respect the family and all that. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be nice. Being a doctor is a great job, I believe. That's that. The problem that I have, I want to share everything today here, that I was, I was not a troublemaker at school. I was a good student, I would say. I, I mm-hmm. <laughs> good luck with the checking out with, our, with the teachers. But, but I, I don't think I was a troublemaker. But I was okay student in terms of academic the, the achievement. Somehow, I didn't get the tough score. I got like good score, but it was not like, Top class, right? I was a top. I was a okay, like a top five person, but had to be top one person to be a doctor in Korea. Okay? Entire class. Had to be one person or mm. like that good. So I was an all right student. And my nightmare was approaching, oh my God, what if I miss? What if I fail to get into medical school? Then what happened? Mm-hmm. And that nightmare became like a reality. Mm-hmm. So I... I tried and I failed to enter the medical college. Simply, simple as that. And I felt like, the, I remember clearly, I, I felt like, oh my God, I feel so bad to my parents. I remember so vividly, I wish I can re- remove that memory. I, I locked the door and I cried so badly, so embarrassed. I got my score and my score was okay score. It was like good enough, I can go to good school, but I cannot go to like top medical college in South Korea because by the way, have you heard about Korean like education system is insane, like competitive? That's mm. that's Korea. You know, like Tiger Mom. That's, I think in Korean moms are Tiger Mom. Tiger well, Mom you, when you said <laughs> when you said you were top five and you described yourself as an okay student, I felt that that was a pretty tough grading curve. So, thank exactly. you for setting the stage. So, you oh yeah, this, <laughs> you determine that this path that your entire family expects you to walk is no longer open to you. And so what happened next? What happened was, first, I had to acknowledge that 
and I shared that status and I tried one more time after one year, but I actually did not make it. I was like a top, actually top 4% of entire mm. population of the class, but was not good enough. Mm. Had to be number of top 1%. So again, I failed and there was silence at uh, the dinner table, I remember. Mm. And my mom, of course my mom is okay with that. I mean, not, not really okay, but my mom, of course, loved me and my father too. Mm. But the way I interpret that, the silence was like, I did something really horrible. Mm. And now like, I'm like, now I, have a, now, now I have a son, by the way. I don't know. It's not a big old deal to be honest, right? It's not a big old deal. Come on. It's not a big old deal. But that was a big old deal by the time for, from my perspective. And our family, a family, the grand family dinner, there was a silence. Grandma asked and then a silence. And like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm debuting now black ship. <laughs> It's like, now I'm debbing flagship number one. Yes. Like, literally, Bethany, I'm not exaggerating. Like, every freaking year, there was a train. Like, uh. army of junk family that could produce a little doctor. It's mm. a matter of which school, almost. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we did it. And I want to actually ask to my cousin now, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, <they were> like, <laughs> and I was like, holy, holy moly, right? And I was like, ugh, ah. And then our time. And then what happened was, my father took me uh, the one-on-one. He says, it's all right. Matter of fact, I discovered your talent since you were like teenager that you have a sense of business hmm. because you naturally like people. You are naturally curious about the business hmm. and you have an energy that you make people feel special. Mm -hmm. That's a special skill. Mm -hmm. And you like math and physics. So I think it can be like in the path of like product, business, and he recommended. So I entered engineering school, electrical engineering school. So I studied electrical engineering, which I never, never dreamed about, never even think about. So that was my day one of the school. And what happened was, because this is now lesson number one, what I learned myself. I didn't prepare the career path other than just mm. become a doctor. And that plan has changed dramatically, right? Not even close to any healthcare, just electric engineering, right? And I was like completely lost. I lost, first I lost my, I got lost, I wanna say. I got lost, mm -hmm. completely lost. Mm -hmm. Second, I just wake up one day and I'm at my college. And I'm studying like algebra and like all the physics and like electric mag magnetic field, all that like very difficult like electric engineering class. And I was like, at the school and I was not motivated. Mm -hmm. And the more importantly, I got lost greatly as I, I don't know where I'm going. And I'm a freshman. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I couldn't describe how guilty feeling I had for to my parents and also to myself. The guilty feeling is so, it's a perfect shame all that. You know, my father was a very famous guy, like very established man in the town. Mm -hmm. The owner of the hospital. 
So everybody asked me, Dr. Jung, so it's going to be Dr. Or the Junior Jung, right? And, it, and it's silence. <laughs> oh my God, I'm laughing out loud right now. But that was like a real like, ah, I had a hard time. And then what happened was, I couldn't get, I couldn't plug into myself to the school, the class. And then I got, I got lost, completely lost. And I followed my passion, the organic passion. The organic passion is by the time, still actually, I do love heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like music a lot. And so most of children, like, you know, kids like music. But I, I, I was like a, a little like deeper level, like obsessed with the music, but only one music, heavy metal. Still, I love heavy metal music. Still today, I only listen, only, only listen mm-hmm. to heavy metal music. Christmas, no problem. There's Christmas <laughs> medical. <laughs> Sure. So, uh, I, I was into heavy metal, and by the time I'm a little old enough now, so we didn't have MP3. We had the CD and LP, all that, right? And we had to purchase the CD, you know, to listen to heavy metal. And heavy metal is kind of very, very, very minor music in South Korea, so you cannot get it other than you get imported CDs. And I, there are only a few places you can purchase heavy metal music, right? I'm talking about beyond heavy Metallica. Metallica is a pop. I'm talking about heavy metal, real, like, deep heavy metal. So I had a, such a bad experience in a, a college, freshman. I was like, why so bad? Why so, like, unkind, right, to clients? Mm-hmm. I actually asked. Sir, I took like one hour train. You told me that you have, a, you, you, have a, you have it stuck. So I took a one hour train and 40 minute walk. And you're saying, like, come back in a month again? It's sold out? And you're not even, like, apologetic about it? I asked, why? Because we can. And I was, like, so mad. And I was thinking about it. And I, I already knew, like, there must be enough head metal, like, says you. Mm-hmm. They always do this kind of bad service. I'm going to change this. So I found a company. That I wanted to change this distribution. And that's what I did. That's why companies buy hard. It's so hard to buy the music. So I made buy hard distribution. That was my first mm. business. <laughs> and Seiju, you dropped out of college to pursue this. Is that right? So let me fast forward. So yes, eventually I did it. And I will get you what, what happened. So I, 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 I started the distribution and it was a, quite successful. Very successful. Mm. And there were a lot of the, the demand, so I changed the supply chain issues, and I provided at a much lower cost and deliver in two days, all that. And I became like a modified market in South Korea, the heavy metal music. And I became a production. I loved it. So I felt like I was very busy. I was occupied to building a business, scale the business. Hmm. I, I lived in my heydays. So I didn't even go back to my hometown because it's a suburb. I have to take a train to go back to my home. but. During the vacation, the, the summertime, wintertime, I was working hard because my business was growing so fast. And one day my mom called me. We got to have a family discussion. And I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I asked my mom, Mom, is, is that about the father health? Mm-hmm. I just guessed. And my mom cried. And I was like, oh, no. oh, don't tell me, Mom, please. And then I, I trained, trained down to Yosu. And we had a family discussion. My father shared they got a uh, terminal lung cancer. Mm. Uh, late stage three so it was devastating news it was surreal until it took a few 
few weeks to actually realize that because I, I was at the stage of denial, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then I can see he's getting weak very soon, very quickly as he starts to chemotherapy. He gets really sick, uh, weakened day to day. And then we were together as much as we could. My father summarized a lot of life lessons and he, he gave it to me every night. Uh, we had a 40-minute father-son session as we usually do every day anyway, but we, we, we repeat that at the hospital. I learned so much. Eventually he departed, he, he left. And then that event completely changed the way I saw the life, still today completely changed the way I view the world. And then that helped me to clear what's important in my life and also how I should live my life. Um, so a couple of things I did, I was, in, I was about to go to the army anyways, and then, but it was a perfect time. South Korean man has to serve for country. It's mandatory. It's 100% mandatory. Mm. So it was a perfect time because I could actually clear my head serving for the Korean army for three years because I had to follow my, the order and I actually enjoyed it. And every night, literally every night, I thought about it. Dad, where are you? And why? I, 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 when I heard the news of my father's illness, I, I got scared. Would the world will move as usual? And shockingly, yes, the world has been moving as act like there was no, my father didn't even exist. Do you, do you see what I'm saying, Pastorini? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that I discovered myself that I felt like weird. For instance, I lost my father and the next day at funeral, I was hungry. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for food, like animal. And I remember that the day we bury him, the sun rises like the sun was rising all the time. Nothing has, nothing has changed actually, except for me, I lost my father, my big son. Mm -hmm. And the funeral is a focal focus to me, right? A lot of people are like mourning all that together, but once the funeral event is gone, the absolute silence arrives, the vacuum arrives. That's why being a military was very helpful for me, Bethany, because I could spend my time to think about. And every day I was asking, literally, where are you, Daddy? Where did you go? Mm -hmm. How should I leave? Why did you go? Why has to be you? You save a lot of lives. Why it has to be you? Even I asked to God that I, we don't have a, our family doesn't have like the supposed to religious belief, but. Um, I'm not an anti-God. I, I believe in overall God, the, the spiritual. I just ask, why has to be Him? And why now, right? And what's next, really? Is that the level, the spiritual level that we can remit again if I die? I hope we can, and I believe in that. All that questions. So I read a lot of books, even like Bible. <laughs> I read a lot of psychology books. And I got seldom some answers, but I couldn't get a clear answer. And you know what? After two years, I had to wake up moment. My senior soldier scolded me 
one day in the morning. Actually, he slept on me. Seju, wake up. I've been watching you more than one year. It's now second year. Wake up, please. Your dad is gone. And I, I said, like, it was a wake-up call. And somehow, it helped me to, like, stop thinking about the questions. Mm. Why? Because I will not be able to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of questions. Why, why, why I came to this earth at this time? Why my father, Dr. Wu Gil Chong, is my father? I will be, I will, I will never ever figure that. Mm-hmm. It's just given. So I stopped thinking about that. Right? I started to think about what would he, he, my father, and I should pay attention. If he was here, what would he do? And I knew the answer right away because he mentioned before he passed away the potential growth, what I can do. He was very curious. He also gave me the last words he left. Of course, I cry hard when we know it's, this is the last moment. We knew this is the last moment we can say bye, farewell. And we cried like crazy, crazy hard. And my father's last comment was, he looked at me and said, don't cry, son. I understand why you're crying, but my early death will make you very strong. It's guaranteed because this is very abnormal. Like the bird, my father's very poetic. Like bird on the nest. If I keep the bird, the baby bird, too long, they will not learn how to fly and they will get caught by predator. As much as I love you, I keep you out of the nest mm. so you can learn faster. That's what I'm doing right now. Mm. So don't cry, but understand why you're crying. And I can die, but one thing keep me, I cannot close my eye because I know you, achieve, you will achieve a success. I see it. But how to achieve a success and I will not be there make me very difficult to close my eye. That's very mm. difficult. He mm. knew he would be in a different the dimension, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope he's watching over me like I'm making expression over my shoulder from the sky. But even if he's watching right now, we cannot communicate because we, we live in a different dimension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that made me very also difficult. He mm-hmm. knew that. That was the last word. So I decided I'm going to do my best. Like what I learned from this, being a soldier by the time. Explore, being disciplined, discover my talent, and put some effort to become best. And once I do it over and over, then I will get close to the answer of what he was seeking for. And I'm in the past right now. Mm-hmm. Now, long story, I'm sorry, but I will answer your question. Yes, I dropped to college. You know what, though? That was a very easy decision, super mm-hmm. easy decision. Why is that? Because one day I realized, as I mentioned from the day first at school, I didn't have a motivation. Mm-hmm. I got lost anyway. And that was a course that I didn't choose out of my will. Mm-hmm. It was the course that I was chosen because the society expected me to become a college student. And it's all safe enough. That's why I chose that. And it became very clear to me. And I told my mom, who is also an amazing hero. My mom, 
Of course, she's like also care about my title, I guess, like education. But my mom, I'm gonna drop a college, okay? I have a vision. This is not the vision that I want to pursue. And my mom said, "Yes, you can drop it." Wow. She is strong. She's a very abnormal Korean. Mm. So I dropped that, and I told my mom, "Mom, you know me. If I fail what I promise, I will sell the water on street. I will sell mm. the cars, whatever, and I will make my bread own bread. Don't don't you worry." And my mom said, "I believe in you." You're and so she bad. was right. She was right to believe in you, and. You ended up emigrating to the U.S., Seiju, and we, when we were talking about this, you described your 20s as dark. Oh, you described, very dark. You described your 30s as a struggle. And I think many of us have felt like the self-confidence we have, the conviction that we have in, in something that we can create, there might be an expiration date on it. You had to push through some really, really difficult circumstances. 100%. To arrive at the other side. And those include your experiences. You, you were a street vendor for a time. You were a gardener for a time. You lived in a parking garage for a time with no, you know, no formal running water. Can you talk to us about that? And the reason why I I would love for you to share more about this chapter is Noom did not happen overnight. And you, like the level of conviction, the level of determination is so extraordinary. And I want people to really hear the truth of what it took, you know, for you moving to the United States and establishing yourself, what did it take in those first, in those first years as you knew that you had this vision, but there was a gap between where you were and, and where you needed to be to actually get the company off the ground. Will you talk to us about those gap years? What happened there? Absolutely, Bethany. Thank you for asking the question. It's very important because I want to share to help younger generation uh, students, to be honest. So if you, the listener right now, feels like you are struggling out of like, the expect, compared to expected like the status of where you should be today. And uh, also self-conscious matter. I want to share my story. Hopefully this is inspiring and helpful for you. So when I came to Natchez 2005, January 21st, my, my dark time started, my 20s, right? All in my 20s, I lost my father, army, got lost, came to United States and that with a vision that I will learn, explore, discover my talent and I will be very disciplined to do better what I discover my talent. Hmm. And, and I knew I will build a company, but it's not going to be just company for making money. The company can change the world. I know this is very cliche, but I don't know the better words, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually surprised I can say this now. Because when I came to United States, a lot of people said, I want to change the world. I felt like, what? Mm-hmm. How, how dare you can say that you're not Superman? But now I know why. Mm-hmm. Why is that? 
Look at us, you know, like consumer-facing product. Why consumer-facing? A lot of people ask, why did you do that? The answer is very simple. Because we realized, when I came to first in America, I was like, because as a foreigner, immigrant, I received a privileged uh, the, 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 the observation, I can observe, right? How the American leaves. And overall healthcare service was like quite missing, was below the bar. When I came from South Korea, I was expecting United States, the most richest and powerful, most educated country, should have certain level of healthcare service. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked, expensive, and also service was okay. I don't want to diminish our healthcare expert and professionals work, but don't get me wrong, but system is somehow, is now optimized well, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So. I did some research and learned about it. And then it was like, there's a lot of things like 18% to 90% GDP go to like healthcare Americans, right? That much we are spending dollars investing. But overall, the value is kind of like okay or below okay. And a lot of people are sick here. Mm -hmm. Americans are sick. 72% Americans are either obese or overweight. 45% plus American adults are already uh, diagnosed at least one chronic condition like that. People are overall sick here. And that became a normal. The normal, the norm in the United States, Americans are sick people. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but that's a fact. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Somehow it's okay. So I was shocked. And that's the point that my father's comment, what I observed, and my personal calling came. Oh wow. We gotta we gotta change this. Mm -hmm. That's why my Devotion has started my commitment in healthcare. I need to provide a background service so I can answer that. Because I had that, our mission is super simple, right? We want to help many lives, as many as we can. The service has to be approached by scientifically, and we use technology to scale the service, right? That's how we do. Very noble and very simple to understand, and it's powerful. So I had that. Even before I want to found the company, and that became a mission. Now, where I was by the time, as uh, you mentioned very well, I had a lot of gap, how to get there. Mm -hmm. Because my level was that I was out of college, right? I don't know anyone. I spoke English okay, probably very broken Korean English, Konglish, all that. So I had to climb up from very bottom of the floor. So I did a lot of manual labor work, right? I did gardening. I sold a lot of stuff that from South Korea, the 99 cent and 79 cent, the perfume at the bathroom. I sold it on the street. I sold the garden products. I sold the blind products for um, the home interior. I sold the Verizon Wireless uh, program, the plans, to get the voucher, $45 voucher. Per person I convinced to get into Verizon, I get $45, something like that. That was the way I paid my bill to leave. I lived in a basement in Long Island. And I built my basic survival muscle. Too. And then I learned English and also built my self-confidence by the time, I believe. But it was very difficult. It took two years, and then I debut myself. I think I was ready by the time I thought, and tried it, and it was not easy though. It was not easy. I attended a lot of events, 
networking event in Manhattan. There's a lot of business networking event, right? And I attended, and it was very hard. First of all, people speak fast. Second, people ask, what do you do? Third, people kind of ask about where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. Or what do you do? Kind of they're asking, right? They kind of politely asking. They just want to know about it. But that was time before we linked in. So people have mm-hmm. to ask you. And my background is very uncharming. So I found myself, I was the, like, almost, people didn't bully me, but I was the, the one that people don't want to speak to me. And often, they come at that networking event. And it was humiliating. It's very difficult to face that. But it actually helped me to build, like, hustling ability, meaning, like, mm-hmm. how can I survive this? How can I make myself better at presenting myself and what I'm doing? And it was like many years of training, kind of, because I didn't give up. Why did I give up then? People always ask, why did I give up, Seiju? The answer is because I was committed to follow our mission. Hmm. The missions are great. And I forgot to mention, what about what, what, what happened to heavy metal record, record label and all the shop business, right? I gave it to my competitor and I let them run the business. You know why? The one question my father asked, I couldn't answer. That's why I gave up the business. My father asked, so, Sage, I heard about your business successful. I said, yes. And I presented my business very proudly. And then he said, he goes, so you make money very good. Yes. So why do you care about money? And I answered. I said, like, I think with money, I can do this and that one, that one. And then what will you do with that money? Hmm. And eventually, I couldn't answer more. And he goes, like, think harder, son, about money and the job. My father often... Just question, he didn't actually give me the advice directly. He just questioned, like a Socrates, right? And then he goes, actually, this part, he actually answered his part. He said, I thought about the job, Seiju. And he said, the job should provide a benefit to community. Do something back to community. Mm. Because you're part of the community. That way you can do a sustainable job. Otherwise, you will dry your motivation. It will dry up. And also he mentioned, he is, he actually retrospectively mentioned his job. I took a lot of pride helping patients. But at the same time, I wonder, son, why a lot of patients didn't listen what I warned them to preventative mm-hmm. approach or change their behavior. I often meet them at like operation room or I have to prescribe some drugs. So the healthcare is very optimized for sick care. And I wonder why, because I'm a, they think I'm a healthcare leader, but I became a sick care leader, sick care management. Mm. That was a big statement. And I was kind of shocked that the way he described his job. And he also said, people respect me. I get that. I take a lot of pride and appreciate that. But my job, look at me, he said, all my knowledge over 30 years, once I die, vanish. It's highly paid manual labor job. He literally described his job was highly paid manual labor job. I cannot scale myself next level. As I die, I cannot help more lives. So think, Seju, how to build a platform. That platform can actually continue to support the community to get better. Mm. And that inspired me. And now let's, let me answer your question. Did I do a lot of hustling and a humiliating experience? Absolutely, yes. I pitched to VCs venture capitalists and angel investors, I don't exaggerate, probably 800 times mm-hmm. over four years. 
and I receive zero dollars from them. Mm. I receive no all the time. <laughs> so it was a very difficult time. But to be frank, I don't want to make a hero story. I just want to mention very honestly that I bought my bridge back to Korea. I want to be very honest. Meaning, I dropped out of college and I asked my classmate, and they said, Seju, there are the, the good company will not hire you because you are not qualified. And I don't know these days in Korea, but by the time there was age discrimination for the job application, they limit, I think 29 or 30 is the maximum age you can apply. So my, <laughs> I bought my bridge. So I had to achieve success anyway. I want to be very honest about that. So I have to keep pushing through, but I also believe in the mission. And I keep pushing myself. The thing is though, I get better and better, to be honest, as I get known many times. And I want to highlight one more thing, Bethany, that there are great people out there. I don't want to describe all well, four years when I received no check, nobody helped me. A lot of people tried to help me out. They couldn't just write a check because I was not ready. Mm -hmm. They helped me out in many ways. They gave me a free consultation. They helped me to build a better business presentation. Um, they gave me their like encouragement, all that. Let me give you an example. I told you that I sold blind, just pay my bill, right? And I received one sample from Korea, the manufacturer, and they gave me like seven pounds, the blind sample book. And I mm -hmm. carry that. There's a DD building in Manhattan. It's called DD, Design Building. And every wholesaler goes there. Entire building is for home interior design product. And I went to DD building in the morning and I think eight o'clock, something like that. And I pressed the button at top floor and my strategy was, I'm going to stop by every store out there. And I did it. And I received no, rejected from, from the beginning for many, many hours. And I forgot one thing. I wore a suit, I had a, I carried a sample book. You know what I forgot? Water bottle. Mm. I became so thirsty. And I got rejected at every store. They treat me like, what are you doing? Get out, right? <laughs> what are you doing? Like door to door. And I was so thirsty. And I think of floor 12, 10, there was one kind lady came, followed me, and he, he he gave me a water bottle. He said, young man, you can do this. Get mm. some water. There's an angel. Mm. And I keep pushing through myself. And then, you know what? This is kind of like, you will think I'm going to make a story. This is not, and I will tell you. Around 3.30, I think, or 4 o'clock, there's a chime bell sound from the ceiling of the entire building. What's going on? And they said, they are closing for public access. They're closing the building and everybody has to evacuate. Do you see what I'm saying? Because that's kind of wholesalers, I don't know, they have the building protocol by three or four, they close and they let people out, so exiting. So I was at the last floor, the first floor by 3.30 or four o'clock, and I couldn't get any single appointment, by the way, out of three or almost 300 stores. I was like, ah, oh, what should I do? And I entered one last door and I got a chance. Mm. And she connected me to the sales rep in Long Island. 
and said thank you, and I kicked out by the security guy. And you know what? I drove the car and met the president. Somehow the president welcomed me, and I explained. And he gave the order of one million dollars mm. on spot. And then, who hired me from South Korea? The CEO was so impressed. So the next day, he hired me again. He said, mm. "Mr. Jung, you are now my country manager. Mm. I will hire you. I will give you a car, great salary. You have an exclusive right to distribute. You are my country manager of the United States." And I told him, "Thank you, but no, mm. because I did this gig job to sponsor our company." Mm. All true story, by the way. Uh, there's just, Sadie, there's so many different angles to that, that, that I wanted to explore. But one of the, to one of the top things on my mind as you were describing it is just, you are the personification of the American dream. You know, the whole idea that if you work hard, if you contribute, if you add value, you should be able to succeed, you know, and create financial security for yourself, for your children. And you did it against such outrageous odds. And sometimes I, I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share how gritty it was and how difficult it was, mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we skip ahead to the success and we don't really honor the sacrifice that comes before mm -hmm. the success. And I just want to thank you for being willing to spend some time on that phase of your life. And then the other thing that strikes me, Seju, is you're the guy who, you know, fast forward 15 years and you just raised half a billion dollars. Like mm -hmm. that, that amount of money is so vast. It's hard to even conceive of, of it. And yet you are so kind, so grounded, so humble, so thoughtful. Um, you haven't shed that part of your identity. To me, it still feels like you're showing up as the same guy who started at the top floor of that building and made it mm -hmm. all the way down to the ground floor before you made a sale. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why, why don't you walk around, you know, chest puffed out and just like shooting from the hip, you know, why, why have you been able to hang on to, to that core part of your identity too? How do you do it? Thank for amazing compliment, but I will, I will say from my bottom heart because I had so many years of, um, challenge and the challenge gave me the hurting feeling hurt me. So if I may, I think I have a great empathy on that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be like that, the other side. And I hope I can continue to be like that, no matter how successful I could be in the future. I don't know. Success is very soft matter. So we should have another discussion about what is success, right? So for me, like my entire 20 was dark. My 30 was struggling moment every year of my 30s were struggling but that was worthy though very much worthy the 
people comment easily, casually, right? For instance, a lot of venture capital in the beginning, they treat me like very badly, very badly. Because they are entitled and I'm desperate. Mm -hmm. Because they are smart and because they have money. I don't have money. I'm poor and I'm seeking for money. I don't have any leverage. I have a zero leverage and they have leverage. So some VCs treat that. I mean, enjoy that. The power position. And that hurt me as a human. Mm -hmm. Badly hurt me. And it's not nice because we are human. Mm-hmm. And that helped me more and more build the mirrors that I, I, I will not do that. I shouldn't do that. It's not nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the reason why we found the company and the way we get going to forward is like an out of humanity. Mm-hmm. The thing is like, we are here, especially Noom case, that we are here because we are passionate and we want to help lives. People come with like creative ideas, product ideas, and experience how to build a product, engineering experience, and finance, people experience. And then we, we have different background, but we have one aligned vision that how can we shift our power back to end users, right? How we can democratize that all the, the success of massive user base from Noom and let's get the spotlight in healthcare. That there's so much money and effort has been invested. And I think there's an amazing opportunity. I'm extremely lucky that my personal life, the vision and the company vision is aligned. So I tell this to my wife, my partner. I actually told this to my one of our new member at Noom. I said, I feel very extremely lucky that I don't have any lick of energy. My day is very simple. I love my family mm-hmm. and I love my new family. Mm-hmm. And I put an effort to make sure that we can do better than yesterday, mm-hmm. personally, professionally. And our problem that we identified the problem for our business is a huge problem. And who doesn't care their own and their family members' health? When I speak health, it's a mental health, body, Mind and body and relation, holistic. Why? Because not a robot. If we have a good strength, but mind is weak, we are sick. If I am physically strong, mind is strong, but my relation is broken, it's not a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So we get that. So that gave us a lot of vision. We can build a more product. And we should build a product, better product, and solve this problem, but mm-hmm. very organic way. Again, has to be organic way. That way it delivers a long last result. Let me go back to my 20 and 30. One, one thing I want to highlight. My entire 20s, I was like, I got shot, right? The first shot was my father. Second shot was how stupid I was in the United States when I was exposed to this complete new land, new language, new culture. So my 20s was like, I was beaten up so badly. My 30, I became a CEO. Why? Because I appointed myself as a CEO. Because I found the company I'm a CEO. So people don't tell me, but I can see that from my eye. You're not a qualified CEO. What do you do, stupid? That's how I felt all the time. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, 
It doesn't, I don't want to picture like the people are evil. No, there are so many good people. Think about our early, early, early members at noon, including my co-founder and all the members. This stupid, like, unqualified CEO, they followed me. They followed the vision. I was luckily enough that I found the vision is strong and they were resonated. So they commit their life. Okay, let's build it. Let's do this mm -hmm. together. Now, look back, I think they are the greatest people. They, they gave up their, they, they could get a job. They actually, they, they work for Google by the time. Mm -hmm. they, they could get a job in any way they want to. But they joined this like, extremely poor, unqualified CEO running company. So how lucky I am. Hmm. So that helped me to build another muscle, psychological muscle, self-confidence yeah. muscle. And you know what? I get a little more yes than no, as it became mm -hmm. better. And mm -hmm. learn out of the, the you know, errors and failures. And I became better and better. Not only just build a thick skin, but I became a better. I practiced together with our team and we took the feedback we focus to what we need to do. We get better and better. And a lot of people ask, what happened to over 14 years? Why is it so popular now? What was the hardest thing, trigger moment? The answer is, it's not like that, right? We learned so much prior. We call that research period. And we applied what we learned. And once we figured, as we start our conversation, figuring out how we can use technology, to empower human coach empathy and use technology to scale the service and also the services oriented, uh, designed for holistic approach to end users, then the product market fit, which means the massive market react well. And that's how company grew fast, well. And then we get more yes. But to answer your question, like I received so many no. I received so many ignoring eye contact to me, the yeah. eye. The way people behave, their body language, mm -hmm. they, are, they, they ignore me like a transparent person. Like yes. they, uh -huh. That is a vivid. They didn't leave as like a scar, not really. Mm -hmm. But it built a great amount of empathy. Mm -hmm. So me, I don't want to be, I don't mean like that guy. Mm. I want to embrace people and talent. Seiju, it's the story is so powerful. And one of the things that I was thinking about among many as you were reflecting on that time is your experience with powerlessness. And now you are a person with a lot of power and you described shifting that power to others, you know, as mm -hmm. they use Noom. And I think that that's a tremendous mark of leadership. I know we're coming up, we just got one more minute and I wanted to use that one minute to come full circle. On your family, you described yourself early in this conversation, you were the black sheep of the family. You were the only one who didn't go to medical school, who didn't become a doctor. And as your father passed away, he told you that he had another vision for you. He told you he had a vision that you would succeed as an entrepreneur. What does your mom say to you today about what you've created? Or what does your family say to you today? How do they express their pride in your success? My mom, oh, <clears throat> this is hard. My mom described herself 
very poetic way and sometimes just tears me up. My mom said the other day, ah, oh, this is hard. Um, <clears throat> my mom also received a lot of stress. When I failed to enter the medical college, right? She, she has unconditional love to me for sure, right? But she, she couldn't describe how Seiji would be fine and do well mm-hmm. to great authority by the time, who is my grandma. She felt powerless after my father, very charismatic and great leader, passed away. My mom, my mom was just like, just 49 by the time, which is a very young age. So it was hard for her that I told mom that, mom, I'm going to leave Korea and take the challenge. My mom told me a few times, but I did not know how great deal was that. My mom said, Seiju, that actually broke my heart greater than I let your dad go. Now I know why. And after kind of what people speak about success, my mom spoke to me that, Seiju, I'm like, I knew you will achieve success. Probably I'm biased, but I love you. So I knew you will achieve success. So how the media is describing you because I became a kind of known person, but you're my son. And sometimes I feel like strange how to receive this, but I knew it. No matter how the other people are describing you, it didn't matter. And I tell you what, you have an energy you want to go global. And by the way, my name is Seju. Se means is um, globe and human. And Ju, Ju means it's a phoenix, fly. So you, you leave your world, your life, like your name. My job is I'm a bus station, Seju. My mom said, I'll be here forever, like bus station. You can come back anytime as you want. My time is always on time. You can go far, you can come back. I'm here. So you became greater than me. I, I cannot advise your business. But I'm here to help you whenever you need. And you pursue business enterprise and helping lives, such a noble mission, and I'm very proud of you. But the cost of doing that, I have less time with my son, but that's okay. That's my also contribution that I deal with. Seiju, that's beautiful. And what an amazing gift your parents gave you, both the foundation and the love and the inspiration to pursue your own path, always knowing that you can return to them. And thank you also for sharing the gift of your story with the Breakline community today. What an honor to hear more about your background and what an inspiration for all of us. Thank you for joining us, Seiju. Thanks for having me. Um, Great honor. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keep these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Thank you.